start. I forget to do that ever since I did that a couple weeks ago. <laughs> exactly. Welcome to the 34th Salon. Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. And welcome everyone to the 34 Salon. Yes, <laughs> as the 34 Thirsty this is great. Can't speak. 34 Thirsty Salon dance party continues. Um, I am Sean Morland. Mm -hmm. I am here with Don Sam Alden, and we are here with Pamela J. Smith. And thank you. <laughs> it's like a well-oiled machine. Look at how well <laughs> it's all. No tripping of the tongue. It's just perfect. Uh, okay, so we are going to have a really great topic today. And this is about alpha babes. Uh, what Pamela is going to talk about it. But Pamela, first. Would you be so kind as to introduce yourself? Tell us a little about yourself uh, oh. to the audience, our listeners. Okay. Well, I uh, am a mythologist and writer and international speaker and consultant and award-winning producer, writer, director. And I've actually been in the media business for 35 plus years and have been so fortunate to work on uh, feature films, TV series, documentaries, music videos, uh, commercials, corporate films, web series, uh, just so many different things. It's been a wonderful, wonderful time. And have wow. uh, <clears throat> gotten to work in Hollywood and around the world. So it's been really great and I've so enjoyed it and have been uh, working for the last almost 30 years bringing the mythic tools of storytelling to people who are creating media. And that's just been amazingly wonderful and very rewarding to see how people can take those, those wonderful old tools like themes and archetypes and symbols and use them in their current media creation. That, that is, sounds amazing. That is amazing. That's yeah. how I uh, came across you. I know I had taken a, uh, gone to one of your lectures a while back, and I remember really enjoying it and loving because the myth is so important. And anybody who listens to these podcasts knows how much we dive into myth mm -hmm. uh, in this show. Well, I want to ask you a few things. So first, can you say what a mythologist is? How would you how would you describe that? Oh, okay. Well, I, I think first I would define myths. And a definition that I favor is that uh, myths are the stories we tell ourselves to explain the world around us and within us and the stories we tell to justify the world that we create. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice. yeah. And so uh, most mythologists study comparative mythology. And whether you dive into Joseph Campbell's work. I was about to say, Joseph Campbell would be a good example for the listener of someone who is, would be a mythologist. Would that be a way to describe his work? 
Yes, absolutely. In fact, I think he is the pinnacle of mythologists these days. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly there were some in the not too distant past, Edith Hamilton. And, oh, right. Uh, yeah. 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 Sir James Frazier and uh, Bull yeah. Finch. So Campbell, though, really did a wonderful, wonderful job of popularizing mythology. And those of us who follow in his wake are so fortunate to find that so many more people these days are aware of mythology. It's not like anymore that we have to go out and really educate people on what it is. They're already cognizant. So we get to focus on the wonderful ways that it works and all the great stories and the lessons that we can all learn from it. And the one thing that I found consistently throughout, I'm looking over here at my bookcase where I've got Oh, gosh, a couple of feet, at least, worth of books on mythology is mm-hmm. um, comparative mythology. You keep finding the same themes turning up over and over again. Right. right. And yet there's a difference, too. One of my favorite differences pointed out by Campbell in his uh, really great series, The Masks of God. It's a quartet of books. And he points out, and, and this has... I think a lot of relevance today. He points out that in areas where there is a very lush presence of nature, you'll tend to have pantheons and lots of, you know, different gods for uh, this plant and these rocks and that stream and the air and the wind and all these things, the animals. He said, but do note that all of the monotheisms come from the desert Mm. very interesting isn't it there's just nothing there so you don't get gods and river gods you just get you know maybe a sun god or but just one god but well that's very astute how geography influences mythology right right interesting well, it's interesting because with the Egyptians, right, we have sort of a mix of the two, maybe because of the lushness of the Nile. So they have a pantheon, but then at some point in their history, Ra, Amun-Ra, becomes the centerpiece, uh, which again is then overthrown as heresy. But it's that's an interesting yeah. example of where you get that kind of a mix in a mythology. Yeah, it is. And, and that's also very interesting how someone who was the ruler and was able to move the capital from one place to another and built all of these temples. But once he was overthrown, they just wiped his presence away. Hmm. It was like he had That's, never existed. It's a theme that comes up on this show a lot because it is, I think, a characteristic of the patriarchal order. It's the erasure of the enemy, the other, the opponent, not just destroying it, not just defeating it, but sometimes just literally erasing it. Carthage must, Carthage must be destroyed, right? All right, salt the field so that it can never grow again. Yeah, destroy their immortality projects. Right, right. And then you see so often, Don, um, cultural destruction, whether it's blowing up the, uh, the Bamiyan Buddha statues, Right, right, or, yeah. You know, like you say, just raising a city to the ground and yeah. wiping it out. Yeah, because culture is so important. Yeah, we've also seen, I think, even in our own uh, Western canon, we've seen 
our own temples built on top of other temples. Um, yeah. So one thing destroyed and one thing raised above it as if we have to plant our flag of victory. I mean, that's probably a good place for us to start to turn towards what you do and the big idea of today's show, because I think we can talk a little bit about matriarchal and patriarchal mythology and effects on women and men. So my question to you, Pamela J. Smith, is <laughs> what is the big idea? It's the big idea of today's show. Not trying to give it too much importance or anything, but just an angelic choir to introduce it. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, um, it did go silent for a moment, so you may have said something that I did not hear. I just said, what's the big idea? You just tell us what you think is the central important point about what you're going to discuss today. Oh, Okay. I think it is that what I call alpha babes, and I started using that term back in the early 90s, is uh, something we need to keep an eye on, particularly these days, as the feminine is getting so much more presence and so much more power. Mm -hmm. And uh, to keep in mind that the alpha babes of mythology and history and current times embody a certain quality. And we need to keep that in mind as we are developing up ourselves and um, the young people coming up. And to say, basically, how can we be the best we possibly can to embody these higher ideals and yet get other people signed on to make those same kinds of progress along the evolutionary track of consciousness so that we raise our consciousness from, for instance, I think this is a big one to go from uh, what we call TIG, tribal consciousness, to individual mm -hmm. consciousness, to group consciousness. And right now what we're seeing in the world is this divisiveness of tribal consciousness. Right, right. And so alpha babes hold that higher position of group consciousness without losing their individuality and have so, a higher perspective to bring more people under that higher rubric, if you will. So the kind of the notion of this focus on the feminine, the focus on the this strong aspect of the feminine principle and how it affects culture once that's developed. Yes. And also not just the feminine aspect, but that melding of both the masculine and the feminine. Mm -hmm. So I like to liken uh, story structure. Masculine story structure is linear. One direction pointed like an arrow. Yeah. This would be more, you know, years ago it's changed now but right. um and feminine story structure used to be circular it was a cycle it was all right there together and you just keep going over the same things and the same things like soap operas from the you know um latter part of the last century mm -hmm. but the the modern the forward-looking story structure is a spiral that combines both 
there we go. And so that sounds interesting. How would you describe, could you give an example, like a spiral story structure? Like what would be an example of that? Okay. <clears throat> In a spiral story structure, you often will have a character who is um, on the path of initiation somehow. They are learning to deal with various aspects of themselves. Um, let's, uh, you know, take a look at uh, Captain Marvel that way mm -hmm. and see mm -hmm. how the challenge was to, and also in Wonder Woman, the challenges are to deal with your physical self, your emotional self, your mental self, and your higher creative, imaginative, or spiritual self. And it doesn't always come in that order, but throughout the structure of a story, the character will be confronted with challenges on those various different levels and deals with them and moves up. Or you could also look at it as a chakra run, if you will, for you know, any mm. of the listeners who are familiar with the chakra system and raising the kundalini energies and you know, raising your consciousness. Let's just say a little bit about the chakra just quickly. So interesting enough, Pamela, I actually, I've been playing around with the notion in something I'm writing. So oh. just totally randomly connecting with that. But the idea of the chakras being that you have these, the different different stages along, at least it's describing Kundalini along the spinal column, but the from your the very base foundational things like survival to sexuality to heart space to third eye awareness, just this these different levels of consciousness and awareness in the self. So it's, it's, that's interesting how, so with, let's say a Captain Marvel or a Wonder Woman, what would, what would be a good example of where you have this kind of spiral development or, or with something else where you might have that kind of chakra development, you know, in terms of storytelling, is it, is it about the narrative leading the, the character upward in these different, as it explores different personal paths of the self, different things that the personality is dealing with. Is that kind of what it is? And, and how does the story aspect of it, not just the character aspect of it, tie to that? Wow, what a great question. Um, <clears throat> typically in a story, just like typically in a personal life, most of us will have a couple of concepts that we keep dealing with throughout our lives, whether it's abandonment, self-worth, uh, standing up for yourself and having boundaries, particularly for people who have unfortunately, blessed their hearts, been subject to abuse. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> might be loyalty. It might be uh, speaking up. But there will typically be a couple of concepts that a person, a character in a story, is dealing with. And so you set them up to deal with these particular concepts at different levels. Mm -hmm. And so at first it might be, let's say it is the sheer survival. Someone's trying to kill you. You know, look at, at an interesting uh, character out of mythology that does this is Hercules. And when he's a little baby, he's in his cradle and his uh, jealous, the queen of the gods, Hera, because Hercules is the son of Zeus and a, a mortal woman. What a scandal. Mm. <laughs> so uh, she sends two snakes to kill the baby in his cradle. And he grabs them 
and strangles the snakes and survives that first attack at the root chakra. And then throughout the 12 labors, or the 10 labors, depending on the system, you find him moving up through the chakras to deal with the different challenges. And, uh, and that's a you know, pretty complex mythological construct there. But for your story characters, typically if you give them three or four of these challenges on, let's say, emotional levels, let's say the, the sacral, are they tempted to not move forward because they're in love and they get stuck in love jail and we all know how that goes? Well, so um, <laughs> no, they have to... You know, go back as duty versus desire. Okay, I guess I really should be doing what I should be doing. And then do they have the skills for it? And then do they have the big enough heart to deal with it, to get other people signed on? Are they clever enough to take them up to the mental level? And then up to the uh, Ajna focus, that, um, you know, the dot in the middle of the forehead that uh, combines all the other chakras and from which you can then integrate and balance all the others. And a number mm -hmm. of stories do that. Now, this is not a, a female story, but it could have been a, a female character, is Jacob's Ladder, starring Tim Robbins. Oh, yeah. And if you go back and look at that story from a chakra perspective, huh? He experiences during his hallucinations, we come to find out, uh, a rise through the chakras. And it's interesting that uh, Danny Aiello plays a chiropractor who is helping him make that move up when he's right. doing his chiropractic work on him. Really, of course, tying with the whole idea in the... Eastern systems and the Kundalini systems of the spine being that vehicle for that movement for the listener, if the listener isn't aware of the connection with the spine and the chakras. Yeah, you, you find that uh, reflected also in Christianity when um, you talk about the rod and the vine and the rod and the serpents and that whole symbol of the caduceus, and you find it in the uh, Egyptian iconography with the staff and the serpents twining up and then the winged disc. Those are all mm. symbols of the chakra system. Probably pointing to an early source, which a lot of mythology does that we share across the world, a lot of the same symbols. And obviously we're all humans. We're having that same sort of journey. We're experiencing things mm -hmm. in a similar way. Can you say, um, can you tell us a little bit about what the alpha babe is specifically? Yes. Um, <clears throat> how I like to explain it is uh, to go into ichthyology. In the Caribbean, there is this species of fish called the blue wrasse. And what's interesting about them is they swim in schools like most fish do. And if you take out the alpha male of the school, the first female in line will move up and become a male and become able to fertilize the eggs. So this alpha babe takes the position of leadership and of being the one who protects and promulgates the school of fish. 
and everybody behind her just moves up a notch, right? Well, that's all well and good. And then <clears throat> if you reintroduce a male fish, she will move back down into her alpha female position. So it's a, it's a thing that nature does hormonally to be sure that the group is protected and taken care of. Or as I like to say, it's sort of like what my Texas grandmother would say, the ability to rise to the occasion. Okay. So that's an interesting so a notion. So the alpha babe rises to the occasion, rises in the moment. In, in myth or even in history, what are, what are good examples of that? One of my favorites there, and, and once again, let me say that um, times have changed in the last 30 years or so since I started doing Alpha Babes presentations, etc., because women now have much more power internationally. And thank goodness for that. Oh, seriously, Dawn. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> still nature we still have evolutionary biology and evolutionary psychology to deal with but i think our job as conscious human beings is to be aware of that but to rise above it and not let it manipulate us right right not let us limit limit us use it when when it's when it's needed or necessary or beneficial but when it's not be able to move uh, beside it, beyond it, above it, however you want to phrase it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And understand that a lot of people are motivated in those ways. And so you can see what's going on with them. Uh, but a good example to answer your question is, um, I think the Egyptian queen goddess Isis. Mm -hmm. So she was married to her uh, husband, brother, Osiris, and his jealous brother, Set, uh, managed to kill him and cut him up into bits. I think it was 14 bits and scattered the body all around Egypt. Well, Isis, now a widow, said, well, this will not do. And so she went out looking for the various parts and she found everything except his <clears throat> generative organ. <laughs> his lingam, as it were. Thank you, yes. <laughs> because it's been thrown into the Nile and fish ate it. Okay. But um, she put the body parts back together and she administered a magic kiss and uh, was able then to um, interact with him and become pregnant. And then the result was the child Horus. Now, I'm guessing Osiris wasn't too happy about being put together sans a certain part. But we probably don't hear that part of the myth, is my guess. You know, Sean, that would be an interesting story. Is like, you know, Cyrus's version of it all, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I think he'd be like, you know what? Just let me stay apart at that point. Wow. Wow. <laughs> is mankind so attached to their lingams that they'd rather die than live without them? I think most men would say yes to that, Dawn. Wow. So. Wow. Okay. All right, there we just are. Just saying, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Anyhow, so she is magically able to 
mind. So she steps up in a sense, yeah. right? Well, He's... She steps up and takes over and she's the ruler. <clears throat> and she's a wonderful icon for the queen goddess who takes care of everybody. And she is a lover. She is a regent. She's a magician and, you know, a mom and mm -hmm. takes care of her people. She steps up and does what needs to and what should be done. That's it. She is, you know, she had such, uh, she cast such a shadow over the ancient world. I mean, she had, yeah. there was such a cult around her, her and Magna Mater, which was Kybele, um, they, they share that in that there was these powerful cults around these, these female deities. And it's something that don't, we can probably explore too in our feminine divine series. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for listening to part one of our episode with Pamela J. Smith on alpha babes and how to use female myth for creativity. In part two, we discuss the current state of the images of women in film and in media. Thank you for listening.